one thing that I did that works really well is like, this relationship is really important to me. So I'm kind of pushing myself to do something that's outside of my comfort zone. So just know that like, that's how important the relationship is to me. Like I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable in order to bridge this gap in communication so we can maintain the integrity of this relationship because it's that important to me to do it. I like that. No one's gonna be like, whatever, I don't wanna hear what you have to say if you say that. Yeah. You know, unless they're like someone that's not worthy to be, that's not worth being in your life anymore. Yeah. Hello, friends. It's Libby Redden. Welcome back to Today is the Future. I first little update. I wanna start doing little updates at the start of my podcast. The TED Talk. The TED Talk, y'all are loving it. Yay. So fun. I've had hundreds and hundreds of people follow me and DM me and join my text community and start listening to the podcast. So if you are a new friend and person that exists in my sphere of community that you came from the TED Talk, welcome, welcome, welcome. It feels like such a blessing and a treat that the TED Talk is doing so well. 29th for me as I'm recording this. And it has 167,000 views. Y'all, that's so cool. Oh my gosh. Amazing. Also a fun tidbit on that. My mom sent me a text the other day and a boy that used to go to her church texted her. He's now going to college in Utah. And he said, I went and sat down in my psychology class and my professor started playing a video and he was like, wait, I recognize this girl on the screen, on the projector. And it was me. This psychology professor was showing my TED talk to her class and he sent a picture and sent it to my mom. And my mom calls me freaking out. It's just so cool. I feel so blessed. And it's so cool to see people messaging me and being like, hey, I took this action from your podcast or I started doing this because of your TED Talk. Just what a gift it is to get to be a little sprinkle of support or a turning point in someone else's journey. That is just, wow, that's so cool. And also, I didn't even know this because I my TED Talk started getting a lot of views and I was like, well, maybe that's just because you know, it takes a minute to pick up. It's YouTube. Like, everybody's picks up after a while. And I went and looked it up, and it said 76% of TED TEDx talks get less than 1,000 views. And I was like, that... I didn't know that. And anyway, that just... It, it feels very cool, and it feels exciting because I've been putting in the work in this space for almost four years now, and for that TED Talk to do so well and to to really resonate with people just feels so exciting and rewarding and energizing and at a point in my life where I needed that sort of momentum and energy so yay this is me just celebrating with you because it's really fun but getting into the podcast today I have on Natalie Susie pause for dramatic effect because she is fantastic oh my gosh She's so cool. She's so cool. And if they're, dude, listen to this episode in its entirety because it is so good. Natalie just has so many bits of information and and will help you form new perspectives on different areas of your life that 
are just so helpful, can bring you so much peace and clarity. Um, but as far as her background, before I, I pop into um, giving a few of the things we actually talk about, um, Natalie is a very versatile professional. She has experience as a college English professor. She's an entrepreneur. She's a coach. She's been featured in Forbes, LA Times, other notable news outlets. And as far as her story, during the financial crash of 2008, Natalie was laid off from her position as a college English professor. And because of that, she chose to enter the world of entrepreneurship. She successfully created and developed the brand Bear Organic Mixers in 2009, which just threw her in full throttle into the terrifying, crazy world of food and beverage. That industry is just, it's intense. I know from other friends that have also ventured into that industry. Um, And then eventually, five years later, her company was acquired. She continued as the brand's face before leaving a year later in 2015. And after that, she returned to education with a really intense interest in psychology and human behavior communication, which eventually led her to develop this three-step process for personal transformation. And now she uses that and other techniques that she's developed and learned in what she does today. And she specializes in providing conscious communication coaching. And she does this with executives and entrepreneurs, and it just helps them find communication errors in their companies and their personal lives. And we dive into why communication is the basis of and how to do it properly is the basis of human success or failure. And I'll expound on that a little bit. And additionally, she teaches a communication course at the University of California in San Diego that focuses on the pursuit of happiness. Well, it's titled The Pursuit of Happiness. And as far as what we dive into today, Like I said, she talks about, this is a very fascinating, fascinating topic that I think y'all will really enjoy. Something she says in here that I'll just say right now. If you think of the best, when she said this, I was like, that is genius. When you think of the best, and when you think of the worst moments of your life, usually outside of death or the pandemic or something, It had to do with communication going well or going bad. And because of that, it shows why communication on a core, core, core level is so important on having a fulfilling life and accomplishing the things you want to accomplish, building the relationships you want to have. And because of that, she goes into really great depth of how to communicate better how to communicate better with others in a professional setting, in a relationship setting, how to communicate better with yourself, which runs the line of manifesting. She goes, her manifesting tips she shares are so good. I use them now after I record this episode with her. She goes deep into how to manifest, how to be a better manifester in life, career, your financial goals. It's so good. It's so good, the stuff she shares. She also talks about how she went from crazy financial and mental health crisis to building the successful business she has now, doing something she loves. And we also talk about, y'all have probably heard me if you are a listener of the podcast or a consumer of my content, 
about the my concept that I call the pit of despair and how essentially when you reach a really low point, that instead of being sad or scared, taking that when you reach the low of low where you're like, I'm not doing this, I can't do this, I'm quitting, taking that as a cue to get excited because the universe exists in duality. And once you hit that despair point, the natural duality of the universe requires for it to eventually pick back up and you to soon experience a high point. And so her concept is very similar. Hers might be slightly better worded than the ways that I could express that previously, but she calls those cocoon moments. And we talk more about cocoon moments and how to work through them. So without further ado, please enjoy this episode. Housekeeping, please leave a rating and review after listening to the podcast. That really helps me out. Also, at the end of each episode, I do a Q&A with the guest with questions that have been sent in exclusively from my text community or broadcast channel. Um, so prior to recording episodes, I send a message out to my text community and broadcast channel that's on Instagram to ask people if they want any questions from a specific expert. And that way you can get any questions you have answered um, directly from an expert in the field. So I might, you know, I have financial experts on here, nutrition, holistic health coaches, business, therapists. And so it gives people in my community the chance to get targeted specific questions answered by experts. So if that's something you are interested in being a part of, the link is in my show notes to join my text community, which is just U.S. and Canada. And then if you are outside U.S. and Canada, join my broadcast channel, which is on Instagram that anybody can join. That's it. Let's hop into it. Thank you for being here. Enjoy. Is there a story of struggle or success when you were younger that helped, that you feel like helped put you down the course of where you are now? Well, so there are many. (laughs) But the first story that I will share, or maybe the biggest one that I think really shaped my view of the world and what I do, what I, how and why I do what I do now is when I was about eight, I come from an East Coast Italian family that is semi-big. It's not a huge family, but there were a number of moments in growing up where different family members had very strong opinions about other family members and the way yeah. things should have, would have, could have been done. And there was a big rift in the family, which was really painful for me and all of my cousins because we wanted everybody to be together for holidays and these kinds of things. So one of the roles or the role that I played in that family dynamic was to play mediator. So as a young child, which sound this timing sounds crazy, but it is actually the truth. I was an only child, so only children tend to be around adults a lot more anyway. So I was an only child, so I was always around for adult conversation. And I always ended up being at roundtable discussions, mediating. And I would, you know, have a conversation with my grandmother say, have you considered like this person? And maybe this person <laughs> is trying to say it this way. And maybe we should try to be nice about this thing. And, you know, having conversations in which I was exploring other people's perspectives and trying to bridge the gap in communication in order to bring people together is the role that I played in my family dynamic from eight years old. Just full stop. Yeah. <laughs> and were, were you in your house? Were you um, were you living not just with your immediate family? Were you living with relatives as well? No, I was just with my parents. Okay. Um, 
But yeah, I was, you know, we had a close family and yeah. we were together a lot. And so, but I, the thing I say now is, and that I think is actually really relevant in this story is I'm so grateful for that experience and the role that I played in the family dynamic that way, because I would not do what I do now if it wasn't for that experience. So yeah. like from a spiritual level, which you may or may not believe in or may or may not be valuable, but in my view of the world, like we're sort of set up for certain experiences to enhance our spiritual yeah. journey. Totally. So what I do right now as a communications teacher and as a communications coach, where I help companies and teams and people bridge gaps in communication, like I wouldn't do it if it wasn't for those experiences. So I'm grateful for them and yeah. my family and all the roles that each of them played in that whole experience. It was all like kind of made, meant to be. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I see it. Yeah. And uh, well, the, 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 like moving forward, you had talked about that relationship that had ended that <clears throat> had you go on a really deep self-discovery journey. In another podcast, I had heard you talk about uh, around when you were 30, you had a big breakup and your yeah. business was failing. Was that, is that the same breakup that you're talking about? Well, so so on my first story was the, the younger child story. And so now when I say like, so I guess in my coaching, like phase one is all my communication stuff, right? Phase two, a lot of the coaching stuff I talk about is all the holistic modalities, right? All the ways in which you get aligned mentally, physically, spiritually, and emotionally. And the root like cause of why I discovered all that and why I went down that rabbit hole was a breakup at 30. It was, right. like, it was another big life circumstance, right? In which I was running a business that was failing. I was working three jobs to keep my head and my business above water. You know, and at, at the summer that I turned 30, my, my boyfriend and I broke up seven days before my birthday. All three of those jobs dis disappeared. My business was still taking a massive nosedive. And I went off Lexapro, which is an antidepressant, six months before. <laughs> so you were simul— Okay, so I didn't All connect those dots. You were simul— <laughs> Yeah. I <laughs> So that was like devastating. Yeah, it was a mess. And that was like my, I was like brought to my knees basically, you know, oh all at the gosh. same time. And so in the moment when I would need antidepressants, like something to release anxiety, depression, I had just gone off of it. So I was also coming off of meds at the same time. And that's a huge, crazy, nutty process. Which everyone has been hearing me talk about. Right. You probably will for the next few months. Yeah, it's a crazy thing. And so, you know, at, at 30, I, I woke up and I was just like, wow, I, uh, my whole life is different. Everything that I thought, I thought I was getting married. I thought I was having a baby soon. I thought I was going to sell this company and move back to the East Coast to be with this boyfriend. And everything just blew up at the same time. And so I took that as a sign. This was sort of my first really spiritual insight one day. I was just laying on my floor, like didn't know what to do with myself crying. And I'm like, this, I read this quote by Marilyn Monroe, which is basically... This, it, you know, it st I stumbled, I stumbled upon it on my feet and it kind of connected some dots for me. It's like, sometimes things have to fall apart so that they can come together yeah. a different way. I forget exactly how she said that, but it was very meaningful. Yeah. And I'm like, this is the moment when all the things are falling apart because I'm resetting. Oh, and I call so those cocoon moments now. Like, yeah. I used to call them ditch moments. Now I call them cocoon moments because, you know, we live in a universe that abides by the law of duality. Right. And the law of duality is just like the law, or some people call it law of polarity, just like law of gravity. It just is what it is. It is, it is what it is. Okay. Yeah. And so what that means is that love and fear 
and what goes up must come down and happiness and sadness are all two sides of the same coin. And you cannot fully experience one without the other. So if you know you're in a dark place, there is a moment when that's going to turn over and you're going to be in a light place, right? And so this is the cocoon moment. So every time I'm in a really dark, challenging, dreary, uncomfortable place now, I'm like, okay, it's just a cocoon moment. The other side of this is a transformation moment in which I will have leveled up, which means I will have more to give back to my clients, which means I will attract more, you know, it's like a whole thing now it's a formula yeah so there's a whole new way of looking at those moments that's and that big one started at 30 so i love that that i don't know what would be the word verbiage verbiage of a cocoon moment because i i have sort of talked um to people about something very similar my verbiage is not as nice sounding but uh, I'm a big believer. I mean, it's the same concept of the idea of a pit of despair. Oh, where I love that. Yeah, it's like a ditch moment. A pit of despair. Um, and that was something that was very similar to me. Actually, a story I haven't really told in a while was before I moved out to California, I, I was in the shower and I was just like, this is so dumb. Like, what am I doing? I dropped out of college. I lost like 30 grand in scholarships. Like, what am I doing? Like, I'm writing a book that nobody's going to read. Ah. I was just like, this is so, what are we doing? And, and I had recently read the book, The Alchemist, for the first time, which I have read every year since. Good, yeah. And he talks about that in that book of the idea of when life is falling apart and you're in this pit of despair, that that is a cue to get really excited. Because once you've reached this point of like, I truly just want to give up, generally that is when you'll see that what you're talking, and I like like that you bring up polarity too, is that like the universe, it's inevitable. Like it works in polarity. Yes. And so I I remember suddenly having like a huge smile on my face in the shower because I was just like, yes, I... (laughs) Really, I'm just in the pit of despair right now, and how exciting because it ha- like the coin has to flip because it really could not get too much lower yeah. than how I'm feeling right now. That's right. And so I ask yeah. that with clients too. It's always like, how do we turn this over? Like, how do we turn this over? Oh. And the the process of turning over it's a storytelling process, right? It's mm. really a storytelling process. So it's exactly what you and I what we've gotten good at, at least in that exchange and that experience that you just shared about and in mind too, is telling a different story. Mm -hmm. And it sounds so cliche, right? You're like, when you're in a pit of despair or when you're in a cocoon moment, you don't want to hear your coach or your therapist or the person on TikTok telling you, rewrite your story. Say it differently. You're like, shut up. You know, you don't want to hear that. And so I'm very aware of that when I talk to clients about it, but it's true. And so you go, okay, I'm going to choose to tell the story that this dark moment is an indication of the light that's to come and the elevation and the ascension that is to come so I can get excited about it, right? Then it's a whole different ballgame. Yeah. But it takes a lot of practice to, to do that. And mm-hmm. I have had moments, even in my 39th year, I'm, I just turned 40, my 39th oh, year was one of the hardest years of my life. Really? Oh, and first, and I always say, in first world problem, right? We live in California. I get to do what I love to do every day. Like, whatever, there's, you know, but it's it's not that it gets easier. You just get better at moving through stuff faster. You still have cocoon mm-hmm. moments. You still have ditch moments, dark pit, pit of despair moments. That yeah. never stops because we live in a universe that abides by the law of polarity. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So you just have to go like, okay, how do I get out of this faster? Yeah. 
And what is something, is there like, is there any sort of like exercises or forms of rephrasing that you use with clients so that they can reframe those stories? Yeah. So there's the process that I do is I go, okay, like, let's label this. Let's be really clear. What's, what is this? We're in a cocoon moment. I'll just use my words because it'll be easier for, for me to process it. Like, well, we're in a cocoon moment. You've probably been in a cocoon moment before. Everybody has a unique timing and process for moving through cocoon moments. So let's figure out what yours is. So like the practice or the the exercise is addressing it. Okay, labeling it. This is where we're at right now. We're going to call it this thing. This is the bucket we're going to put it in. How many other buckets have looked like this before? And let's track back. What's your process for getting through it? Like what is what are the exercises, the process, the things that you put in place? Let's start getting those in place. And you break, create a formula around it. Right, So there's a timing and process for everybody to move through a cocoon moment. You have to label the cocoon moment. Then you track back other cocoon moments. You start to put together a formula for how you tend to process through things. And then you start to put that stuff in place and you rewrite the story. Okay, I've been here before. This is what I did in the past. And this is all the good stuff that came from that last cocoon moment. These are all like the lessons that. that came from the last cocoon moment. So I know that the same thing's going to happen in this one. Yeah. Okay, so how do I bridge the gap between point A and point B in the most efficient and effective way to get to the other side of this and get, make this a transformational moment? Yeah. And then start saying it out loud a lot. I'm in a cocoon moment right now. I know that I have a process here. Here's the process that I'm going to implement. I'm going to go to yoga three times a week because that last time I was in a cocoon moment, I started doing yoga and it made me feel better. And then I'm going to write some intentions. And I'm going to sit in my, in my meditation place and I'm going to really imagine what it looks and sounds and feels like for this new story to be written, right? This is like my stuff. I'm just gonna yeah. be using my stuff as an example. Yeah. Um, and you put your team, you put your team together, right? In different phases of your life, in different cocoon moments, there will be different people. People will listen to you, they'll listen to me, they'll go listen to YouTube, you know, there'll be different yeah. teachers in those and teachers and modalities and healers and light workers that you can connect to too. Yeah. Like putting your team together too. And then a different team at age 30 to get through my cocoon moment at 30. Yeah. Kid yeah. Down, yeah. You know, for, for challenging moments I had this past year. So, yeah, it's a process. I love the idea of having individualized formula. I've never, I've never thought of that. And I think it would make, <clears throat> I let, like, even just having it, like, honestly, like a Google Doc or something oh, yeah. where it's like, here's, like, a list of my past cocoon moments. Like, even doing that outside of a cocoon moment where I could go back and read it. Yes. Uh, where I can I can see it in front of my face that like there is evidence that I will not be here forever, um, and then creating some sort of real path of action or at least just we don't necessarily action but just the formula feels more like a way to like help you not reach hopelessness in what was inevitably going to become better. You know what I mean? Correct. It, yeah, and it's it's really like I've learned to in the. In the labeling, like step one, label, step two, creating, you know, awareness around your formula, step three, creating the story around it, and then really being excited about the lessons and the growth that is going to come, like step four, like putting that process in place. And then sometimes when you're going through a challenging moment, if you can see this is where it's going to take me and this is how I can serve as a result of it, it really helps too. It's like if I'm having a challenging like anxiety, depression moment, the best thing I can do is reach out to people and ask them how they're doing 
and how I can support them. I like that. That's, but, but that's not some like, it sounds like this cliche, like philanthropic way of, it's not. It's just one of my processes. It doesn't need to be everyone's process. I have just learned in the last 10 years when I when I am in a challenging moment and I'm stuck, to take it outside of myself is the best thing for me to do. It's good. You know? Yeah. It's that's really wow. You're just giving a good aha moment because it's very interesting that you say that because truly, like six weeks ago, I was talking to my roommate and I was like, my life has been so like good and comfortable comfortable is the word over the past like eight months and I know for a fact that I am due for a thing for a thing (laughs) and I was like I'm scared dude it's just like why are you like how and truly like two weeks later was when I started hitting like the really bad symptoms of my coming on my antidepressant and uh it's it's very interesting that you say that of like bring it outside of yourself because I feel like over the past six weeks I have I have talk to more people and been been able to hear more stories from someone like you, from friends. There's been more moments of connection that I had previously for months. And I don't think, now that I hear you saying that, I really don't think that is a coincidence. And it has actually been the core reason why I've been able to continue functioning. Well, you know, here's the other thing I think too is like, when you're going through a cocoon moments, particularly, universe will provide the exact right people in the exact right moments mm. to help you get that. It's sort of like when the student's ready, the teacher appears. And that's what I have learned in my, in my most challenging moments. And now as a 40-year-old woman who's been through a bunch of them, I can go like, okay, I know that some new teachers are coming. I know that some new healers are coming. I know. And you don't know the exact moment when they're going to show up until they do. And then you're like, oh, that's you're like one of my soul people. You're going to help me move through this. And so that's the thing when you're in those moments that we can, with some some ability to have hindsight, go like, let me get excited about this, even in the worst yeah. of the moments. Yeah. Because you know you're going to come out at a much higher elevation and be able to serve so much more. And that's really, this is a good technique to use for like coaches, teachers, light workers, healers, because we're all kind of in that process of discovery and reflection and then every time yeah. we go through something we end up giving back more to our audience and that's just kind of how we function yeah so it's not surprising to me that you're like oh in the last six weeks you know when you're coming out of this phase you'll have so much more content and brilliant things to share yeah it's and help I, so many people and i feel like it's been really cool because i like what you said where with also there's a gratitude piece of with each struggle you go through you're then able to give more as a result and have more empathy as a result um, and it's been with this, you know, struggle in particular, it's been very exciting to be able to uh, empathize with people that I, I couldn't at the same level previously, which is exciting. Yes. So and in that in that sort of um, process of creating a formula to help you through those cocoon moments, uh, you talk a lot about intentions and setting intentions, which is also, I think a big piece of manifesting anything, creating any sort of change, moving through difficult time periods. I think a lot of people hear about intentions, but can you talk about what setting an intention actually is mm-hmm. and how someone might how someone might set one? What does that look of like? Of course. Yeah. yeah. So this is the stuff 
In my coaching, I do two things. So we're currently, I just call myself a conscious communication and manifestation coach because that's really the two things I'm doing and kind of yo-yoing between with clients and teams all the time. And so I'm helping people bridge gaps in communication, right? And so helping C-level execs and founders and entrepreneurs and business owners bridge gaps with their teams so they can, you know, do all the good things with that. And then the other thing is helping people manifest set intentions. A lot of my clients currently come to me and say, I want to, you know, make... I want to double my income in half the time. And they're like, how do we set intentions around that? Okay, great. Let's do it. So essentially, manifestation starts with understanding this factor that your thoughts, your speech, and your feelings need to be in alignment to manifest. So when someone says, I'll use money as an example because it's like a very easy way to describe this. But let's say you you go, okay, I want to make uh, $200,000 a year. You might think I want to make two hundred, dollars and you might say I want to make 200 but you don't actually feel it's possible because you've only ever made 50 and you have no idea what it is. Not you coming for me right now. What? I said not you coming for me right now. <laughs> Describing myself. It's fine. <laughs> city. I can help you with that. Yeah. So it's like yeah. if you don't believe that it's possible because you've never done it before, whatever the belief system is around the financial stuff, then you're out of alignment. Yep. So you can speak to the universe and it will eventually manifest, but it's going to take longer because there's some static and there's some kind of like incoherence and murkiness mm. and stuff like that. And it kind of feels like you're doing like this with the universe when yeah. the three things are not in alignment. Yeah. So like, I really want to do it and I really want to do it and I really think I can. But at the end of the day, everything manifests from your most things manifest from the heart space, and this has been this has been proven and scientifically studied with heart math and stuff like that. So what I'm saying right now is not just spiritual, like woo-woo stuff. Yep. Quantum physics and how much energy emits from the heart versus the brain and our thoughts. It's yes. it's scientifically studied. So if, I love that you bring that up because <laughs> I yeah I agree that some people don't understand, like there is science and logic. Oh, so much, so much. So it's like, if your heart space, if you don't really believe and feel how it is to to, to create $200,000, it's going to be a challenge to do it. And the problem with manifesting money, and again, you know, I didn't, I don't think I said this yet, but we were talking about earlier, this Richard Bach quote, we teach best what we most need to learn, right? Mm -hmm. So I tend to teach a lot around manifestation as it pertains to money, because I was broke for the first 10 years of my entrepreneur journey. So yeah. I really understand what it is to like, like be like, I want to make this and I'm working really hard and, and you just can't make it happen. So my mentor one time, he said, you got to feel what it feels like to, to be wealthier. You got to like understand what that feels like. And he took me to Neiman Marcus and had me walk around on a pair of Tom Fords. I don't care about any of that stuff, right? I don't have labels. I drive a Mazda 3 that's tw- 12 years old still. Like I don't care about that stuff. But he was trying to get me into a state of like, Wear something fancy that you would never normally purchase. Walk around in those shoes. See what it feels like. Mm-hmm. And he, it was the exact perfect exercise because I was like, okay, what does it feel like to be like, you know, fancy and to, fe- you know. Yeah. It was a good example. I, don't, I still don't really care about that stuff, but it was a good example. But I get what you mean. Do you be able to embody something that maybe you normally thought that you could never attain? Right. Yeah. And so... um, so yeah, so so the process of manifesting is number one, getting your thoughts, your speech, and your feelings in alignment. And I have a whole exercise for that, but essentially it's it's think about what you want to think about, or you know, write down what you want to think about, write down what your desires are, 
start speaking those desires into existence and start imagining what it feels like to be in that space. So that's the first piece. Then the intention piece is, again, also have a formula and equation for that, but it sounds like this. I am grateful for a reality in which I call in, or I'm grateful for a reality in which I feel, be, do, or have, okay? And so you start writing these intentions, you you put them actual in words, you start reading them every morning and every night, and then you start to change the neuro pathways in your brain that are geared towards this other thing. So for example, with the old desire of 100 or 50, you're used to making 50, you wanna make 200, you have neuro pathways in your brain. They're like, I am the type of person that makes 50K. I know how to make 50K. It's not as hard to make 50K. You know, you have certain like neuro pathways and I call them like roads, like well-worn roads in your brain, Yeah. right? And you're very used to that line of thinking. Mm-hmm. You speak in that way, you feel in that way and you're comfortable. Humans are more geared towards naturally being comfortable right? So if you're comfortable making 50K, it's very uncomfortable to make 200K. Yeah. And and the ego and our natural state as humans, it's like way more comfortable to be comfortable than to be happy or than to be in this state that you're not used to being in. Mm -hmm. Because this is what happens to the brain. So we have this part of our brain called the reptilian brain. And a lot of this, a lot of people that are much more credible than I am, talk about all this yeah. stuff, right? So if you want to study it more, you go read Joe Dispenza, you can Greg Braden, there's like a whole list of people that talk about this stuff. But the reptilian brain is an old version of the brain that we still have not, unfortunately, evolved out of, right? It's a cave person brain. And the reptilian's brain's whole goal is to keep us alive. That's it. So when you start going like, I'm a 50K person, and then you're like, no, I'm going to be a 200K person, that part of the brain is like, no, you're not. We have survived this way, doing it this long, doing it this way. Yeah. So if we start doing it a different way to make 200K, we might not survive it. Mm. So all the exercises that you start to put in place to become a, 250, a 50 to a 200, that part of the brain does not want you taking those actions. So it's like emergency brake goes up. And then you create all those excuses. It's to, I can't do it. I don't know how to do it. It's not the right time to do it. I don't have the money to create the stuff that I need to create to do it. I'm laughing because I'm going through something very similar right now. <laughs> well, we all do. Yeah, it's just it, everything you're saying is so good. Sorry, continue. No, thank you. I'm glad that it's resonating. So, so that's the thing. So it's like as you get more, as you build the manifesting muscle, right? Because it's all a muscle. So when you're building, it's about, okay, I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to lift the five-pound weights, and then I'm going to do the 10-pound weights, I'm going to do the 20-pound weights, and I, I need to get a game plan in place. This is why you hire coaches or start listening to podcasts or whatever, because they're, you're tr- they're personal trainers in your manifesting muscle, right? And so they help you. They help you. This is what I do with clients. Like I'm like, okay, I'm going to be your personal trainer for your goal of 50K to 200K. So in my personal training of that, I'm going to tell you the map. I'm going to give you the map of what we're going to do and how often we're going to do it, to move you from the, the 50K muscle to the 200K muscle. Does this all make sense? Yeah, no, you're explaining it beautifully. <laughs> yeah. So so that's the goal. I mean, that's the thing. So it's like, you can't go, oh, I'm gonna be a 50K day on Monday and a 200K person on Friday. That's not, we don't, we don't like lift five 
pounds, then all of a sudden, no problem lifting 50 pounds. Yeah. That's in five days. That's not how it works. Yeah. So you put your game plan together and you get consistent about it and practical and logical. And as you go from five pounds to 10 pounds, all of a sudden you start to become this person who could all of a sudden lift 50 pounds. But it's a process of evolution, right? And so we have to we have to kind of allow ourselves to go through that process. And as you do it more and more, you get better and better at the timing gets quicker that you yeah. can yeah. and manifest faster. Yeah. It's I love what was the can you say again the al- aligning your your thoughts, your speech and your feelings. Your thoughts, your speech, and your feelings. Right. So you have to get clear. What do I want to think? What do I want to say? What do I want to feel? Then you have to write those intentions down. Mm-hmm. I write them down with a formula. I am grateful for a reality in which I, and then you mm-hmm. fill in that blank. I am grateful for a reality in which I move from 50K a year, or which I increase from 50K a year to 200K a year in the most efficient and effective way, doing the thing I love to do every day. Yeah. And I will feel happy, purposeful, abundant, and grateful. Yeah. I really like that phrasing of I'm grateful for a reality in which, because I think there's a lot more power in that than just like the I have statements, like I have 200K. I like that. I like the idea of a reality in which, because it's it's putting it in your brain that the reality already exists. You just need to step into it. Totally. And I'm glad that you bring that up and point that out because I want to give credit where it's due. And I, I usually always open with these two books before I say the statement. So the process that I put together for intention setting, it's an extensive process I do over a couple of weeks with clients. The first book that I read called Success Principles by Jack Canfield mm. helped me sort of down the track of coming up with that exercise. The other book was called The Map by Bonnie Lonsbury. And Bonnie Lonsbury comes up with that phrase. She says, I intend to create a reality in which I, and I've in the last year moved it to, I'm grateful for reality. So I've, I've done a little di- bit of a different rendition on it. I like that more. Thank you. <laughs> the reason she wrote it this way was exactly yeah. what you said, which is good that you pointed out in the sense of like, when you say, I am grateful for a reality in which I, you're not triggering that part of the brain. That part of the brain yeah. doesn't hear it. It's kind of like the way you 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 like sneak past that part of the brain. Yeah. It doesn't trigger yes. it. Yeah. Because that part of the brain's like, oh, she's just grateful for reality. She's yeah. not trying to say she's going to make 200K next week. So it doesn't trigger anything. That's really interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. you've got to like... Mind F the unconscious. Yes. Yes. Hey, no, that's really, it's true though, because when you said that, and I, when you said, when you first said that I'm grateful for a reality in which it, my brain immediately went to a feeling of love where often normally when I try and do, I have statements and constricts, it feels, it feels more like, and I have to sort of repeat the phrase. And then I sort of, how I've often manifested, which I don't think works great. (laughs) I like what you're talking about more is just like the, I have statements, but then I have to remind myself, I have to like embody a type of like delusional confidence, which Mm -hmm. isn't really, it isn't necessarily what it is, but I I am like, I am delusionally confident. It's okay that I'm delusionally (laughs) confident. And that's the only way I can get myself to actually believe that I have statements. Yes. And so I like what you're doing more because it feels less forced. Right. Well, because (laughs) truly like, when you really, like what you're really saying in that statement, if I'm interpreting it, is like the feeling, right? When you when you say the I have statement, you trigger the part of the brain which triggers constriction. Mm-hmm. It creates constriction. So it basically creates this instead of this. Yep. 
And when you're manifesting, you need to be open-hearted because yeah. that's where all the energy is coming from. But if you're manifesting like this, it's why it takes a lot longer because yeah. the energy is like trying to get through and it can't. Yeah. So it's like the language is the gateway to the unconscious. It's the gateway to everything. Yeah. So your language has to be on point in order to open up all the stuff. It all starts with the language. Mm. And I'm not saying anything. Tony Robbins is, you know, this is all NLP stuff. This is the Joe Dispenza. Like everybody's saying these things, right? We're all just saying it maybe different frameworks or whatever, different mm-hmm. labels. But it's it's like, you know, intention setting one-on-one stuff. Yeah. So, so that's really it. So once you set your intentions, you have to get good at repeating them because that is the process of building the muscle. It's the process of kind of combating that part of the brain. It's the process of shifting the neuropathways and strengthening because your old neuropathways around money, just for example, based on where you come from, right? Money is such a crazy thing because it's it's all based on where you come from and the experiences yep. you have as a child. Like I have all kinds of exercises that I do with clients to figure out what that blueprint is first, yeah. right? It's really important to understand what your money blueprint is. Yeah. And if you grew up with single parent on welfare, you're gonna have a different money blueprint and a different reality that those neuropathways are stating those well-worn roads in your brain around cash. Then if you're a trust fund baby that grew up with knowing you were gonna have X, Y, Z amount of dollars by the time you were a certain age. Yeah. It, there's a different level of freedom around wealth that that's just your reality because yeah. you grew up. Right, so you have to be really aware of like, what's my blueprint around money? What's my reality around money? Yeah. How did I grow up talking about it? What did my parents say? I grew up with parents. I love my parents. I think they're amazing humans. I'm not saying anything negative. This is just their reality. My dad was an immigrant. Sorry. I grew up with an immigrant lifestyle, right? Yep. So it was money doesn't grow on trees. You have to work really hard for your money, hard, yeah. right? Work hard, work hard. And it's not really appropriate to say you want to be wealthy because yeah. it's not humble. So I'm like busting my rear 23 or 30 in this business and then going like, it's money's really, it's really hard to make money. Yeah. And you're not supposed to talk about it and you're not supposed to say you want to be wealthy. Mm-hmm. And I, I come from an East Coast immigrant family in which we don't really make that much money. We're always yeah. happy. We always have what we need. We're not like, it's not terrible, but we're not like, Abundant yeah. wealth. And it's noble for you to not it's need more. Noble for it's, it. and yeah. it's so noble. Yeah. And being humble is way more important than anything else. It yeah. trumps everything else. Yeah. So so what I did for that, and this is another element of this process of intention setting, got clear on those beliefs. And Tony Robbins helped me with that for sure. That that was a process I did in a Tony Robbins seminar. So I got really clear on those beliefs. And then I mind effed myself again. Okay. And I said, okay, if I, it's better for me as an East Coast Italian immigrant to be giving back. I will say to my unconscious that the more I get, the more I give. And then it makes it okay to want to be wealthy because the more I get, the more I'm going to give back. And then I started donating a bunch of money. Mm -hmm. And every time I want to uplevel my wealth, I double my donation. Mm -hmm. So it's still in alignment with that intention. Interesting. And my brain is like, cool, you're doing. You're just giving back. You're just that East Coast Italian girl that gives back. So I'm going to give you more money because you keep you give back. giving it. Yeah. You keep giving it. So the more you get, the more you give. So that's how I personally got through that Yeah. Uh, family, Diane, the money blueprint. Yeah. that's It's so interesting, and it's very interesting. I think that's a common experience, specifically, I'm sure, with people that are listening, is the idea that money is bad, wanting more money is bad. Yeah. And... 
I mean, I went on a similar journey myself. I mean, I grew up, it was different where I grew up in a family where we were middle to high class, but I saw my dad like truly like kill himself over getting more money. And so in my head, I was like, okay, well then if, if the pursuit of money ruined his life, then clearly it would ruin mine. And so it was a very similar thing where I had to, um, you know, there's like, like nine plus one is 10, five plus five is 10. Like I can get to abundance in a way that doesn't kill me. And that was, it's hard. It's hard to restructure that. It really, it's really hard. It yeah. was a 13 year process for me. Yeah. So I coach and teach it a lot. And I tend to attract a lot of clients that want support on that. And they're clients that are already like my current clients are already doing great in that space. So they're, they've broken through some of those barriers, but then they've got these bigger barriers around doubling it or increasing it even more, right? But I, I talk about it constantly because it's so, it's so relevant for so many people. We all have these money stories and it's, it's, it's really challenging to get over them. And love stories, same thing. Like that romance relationship yeah. stuff, man. It's rough. Those stories are really painful to get over. <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. That's been the biggest journey of my life, so. Yeah. And I find it really interesting what you had said to me prior to us recording and just a few minutes ago is the idea that everything comes back to language. And the language that you use, whether that's manifesting, whether that's, like, running a business in a way that is efficient. Mm -hmm. And so... First question I have on that with being a conscious communication coach, I was curious to ask you this. Why why a conscious communication coach and not just a communication coach? <laughs> That's great. That's a great question. No one's asked me that before. Um I don't know. I feel like that's that's a great question. I feel like that's something that just kind of came to me. One day I was teaching, I was putting this conscious communication framework together, and I just started calling it that. Like we need to up-level. I think where it comes from is well, I'll just say what I always say. So I used to teach a class called The Pursuit of Happiness. Mm -hmm. I still I teach a writing and communications class at UCSD. The theme of the class is Pursuit of Happiness. So people used to always ask me, how do we feel happier? How do we be happier? Like, what's this about? Mm -hmm. And so I always say, like, I want you to imagine, like, mountain, right? And the goal of our life is to, like, feel like we're at this top of this mountain where we're, like, our highest level of happiness and enlightenment, and we just, like, feel good, yeah. right? And we feel in alignment, all this stuff. So I always say... Like our level of happiness is directly dependent on the quality of our relationships with ourselves and others. So the quality of our relationships internally and externally. And the quality of our relationships is deeply dependent on the quality of our communication with ourselves and others, mm -hmm. right? So our level of happiness is dependent on communication. Yeah. Communication is the core ingredient. It's the foundation. It's the thing that creates all the things. Mm -hmm. And if you want to test this out, you can go, what's my happiest moment in life? What's my saddest moment in life? And if you, if you trace the root back to that happy moment and you trace the root back to that sad moment, the happy moment is likely to be in a, a moment in time where communication went well. And the sad moment is likely to be a moment in time where it went sideways. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's it, full stop. Outside yeah. of death and COVID, that's generally what it looks like. Yeah. And so if you really sit and think about that, you're like, holy cow, if I could learn how to communicate from a conscious perspective, what does that mean? It means that I'm reflective. It means yeah. that I recognize 
that everybody has their own triggers, their patterns, and their stuck points, and their experiences shape the lens that they look at life through. If I'm a conscious communicator, I am aware and reflective and conscious of those elements, right? That we all have a particular life lens. So for example, you and I are sitting here right now. We're in the same, you know, we're, I'm in this outfit and you're in this outfit and you're looking at me and I'm, and we're having the same experience right now. Yeah. But at the end of this experience, if I said to you, what was the highest part? What was the lowest part? What was the most important thing you got out of this? It would be a completely different thing likely than what I will say. Yeah. Because your life experiences will highlight things that I'm saying mm-hmm. and this experience is different than mm-hmm. mine will. Yeah. And I do this with my students that I have 20 of them go around the room. I'll talk to them for 10 minutes and I'll say, tell me what the biggest thing was that you just heard. And they'll, they'll say some of the same things, but nobody will say the exact same thing. Nope. Because everybody's looking at a life lens that's shaped by their experiences, their family background, their DNA, their triggers, and stuck points. Mm. So when you are a conscious communicator, you're consciously aware of that. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You're not just doing things subconsciously, unconsciously. I mean, it's not a perfect science. We're all doing those things to some degree. Yeah. But the more aware you are, the more consciously you can communicate, the more empathy you have for people, the more you give grace, the more you say things like, I don't really understand why that person did what they just did or why they said what they just said, but I'm aware that they're doing the best that they can in this given moment. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And if we all lived that way, the world would be such a better place. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So I'm healthily obsessed with that kind of stuff because I feel like it's, the most I can do, like in teaching that content to help shift, con- you know, consciousness of the planet. Yeah, and I didn't really make the connection until just now. Is our our mid- our missions are very similar in the sense that with with what I do, like the main piece that I'm very passionate about is the idea of an emotional toolkit, emotional mm-hmm. development, giving young people the words for what what they're feeling. Yeah. Because so many people don't have that outside of sad, angry, and happy. Yeah. And and so it's, it's I mean, it's a very similar thing, but sort of focusing on like a, mac, a micro piece of it where, you know, like for example, when I was, I've, I've shared this story maybe once or twice before, but when I was young and this was sort of, this was a, a piece of the reason why I wanted to get into this space was I started having a lot of anxiety and I've been sort of work, been that chronically anxious person that's trying to work on that since then but I didn't know what it was when I was a kid and so I remember being in middle school like crying in the bathroom crying in the shower I grew up going to church and I would go to the church bathroom and cry because I didn't know what anxiety was and the only verbiage I had was this is how I feel when I've done something bad or when I feel Mm. guilty. Mm. So because I'm feeling this so often, I must be a bad person or I'm continually doing something bad. Oh, wow. And and it like, like really, like the two hardest years of my life were 2020, which was reframing a story on love. Mm. And and, uh, when I was around eighth grade, when I was, figuring out that I wasn't actually a bad person and that I was just anxious. Um, And it's just, and it's so unfortunate because had I been given even just like a a feelings pillow, (laughs) like 
I wouldn't have had to experience that. Right. And it's okay that I did because it got me here, but right. um, it's just, I think, just like the lack of words and the way that we use them is exactly what you're saying, such a core piece of um, a lot of our suffering. Oh, God. Totally. Yeah. Totally. And... <clears throat> Gosh, there's there's so many things to say to what you just said. And and I think what I can share is this coming back to like kind of bringing it all together with manifestation. So um, there's this thing called the map of consciousness. Are you familiar with the map of consciousness? Yeah. Okay. So, so to share it really quickly, right? If we look at the map of consciousness, it's basically like if you look at like a scale from zero to 10, right? Zero to five is all these different like low vibration emotions mm -hmm. that are all uh, coming from the fear-based bucket, right? Mm -hmm. So we've got hundreds of words for emotions, but they all fall into one of two categories. They're either in the fear-based bucket or the love-based bucket or like the abundance or gratitude bucket, mm -hmm. right? So fear-based bucket is anger, anxiety, frustration, terrified, unhappy, sad, right? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. All those words are at the core of them. We're really actually scared of something, mm -hmm. right? And so in the map of consciousness, those emotions are given like a category. They're at the zero, the one, the two, the three, the four. And the interesting thing about that, and in, in that space of those fear-based emotions, the energy is, is stagnant, yep. right? It's destructive energy or it's just stagnant energy. So when you're in a space of low vibration emotions, you literally are at a low vibration space energetically, yep. and it's harder for you to manifest stuff. Mm. Then you move into neutral, and neutral and above is all the love-based emotions, right? And that's where you get into the creative energy. I understand what you know. You know all this, but I'm just like, no, no, I appreciate it's it. It's easy on the podcast, right? So basically what you're doing in that kind of a space of the low vibration emotions is you're just slowing everything down. Right. It's not bad. It's not wrong. It's We live in a universe that bites by the law of polarity. So sometimes we're in the low vibe and sometimes we're in the high vibe. We need both to fully experience life, but it just slows down the manifestation energy. Mm -hmm. So way more important to get to neutral and you're not low, you're not high, but you're just like chill. And then you can start to move above. To, so I do all that work when, when we're coming back to intention stuff with clients too is like how do we move from the low to the neutral to the high so that you can start to get in that manifestation place quicker mm. and so what's interesting too when you talk about like um you were anxious and so you connected these other dots right yeah. so you created this story yeah. you're like when i feel anxious it must mean no nope. right and then that neuro pathway became really strong because that link you just started making that link all the time. Yep. So then you have this story and you have this neuro pathway and you have this link that makes it harder to just be anxious and go like, I'm okay, I'm anxious. Yeah. I'm just anxious, yep. right? And so there's all kinds of stories we can create around that. But the anger emotion, I think it's important to mention or could be valuable to mention here that we have a lot of judgment around anger. Yeah. Right? It's not okay to be angry. It's not okay to express anger. Anger is bad. Yeah. There's a lot of judgment around anger, especially for women. It's not acceptable. It's all that stuff. Well, anger is just below neutral. On the map of consciousness, between zero and five, we move into this space right above neutral, which is where anger sits. And yeah. pride is around there too. So the beautiful thing about anger is that it's the quickest emotion that can transmute and put you into the neutral and above state. Mm. Because there's still a lot of energy in anger. Mm. You're angry, and it can be destructive. It can be bad, I guess. 
or it can just be the tool that is closest to neutral that causes you to like move into that next space. So, and, and we all have a primary negative emotion, right? So when I talk to clients, I'm always like, when you're angry or when you're disappointed, like what is, what do you really feel? Is it that you're feeling guilt? Is that you're feeling shame? Is that you're feeling despair? Are you feeling depressed? Because we all have primary negative emotions that we lean on more that feel more comfortable. Yep. So when I'm in a negative space, I either yo-yo between regret and shame, right? The lowest vibration emotion, which you really can do nothing with. There's no energy in shame. Yeah. Or anger. Yeah. And when I'm angry, I'm like, great. <laughs> I'm way closer to neutral when I'm angry yeah. and when I'm feeling shame. Yeah. So I'm going to stick in this angry space. I'm going to figure out why I'm, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to go in my car and I'm going to yell or I'm going to sing. I'm going to get it yes. out of yeah. my body instead of rejecting it and resisting it because then it's going to stay swirling around longer and then I can get to neutral faster. Yeah. So it's really the process of like, I'm saying this because you're in the emotion toolkit person, right? So it's the process of like, how do I process these emotions faster? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Does that feel yeah. real to you or yeah. accurate? Absolutely. And I love, I love, love, love that you bring up anger. I think I've only talked about that like one other time on the podcast briefly, but there is so much, there's such a weird <laughs> rhetoric around anger. And it's funny because I, my two favorite types of music are jazz and rock. Mm, okay. And it's funny because a lot of people are really surprised by my choice of like rock music and very some very aggressive stuff. Um, but I find it very healing, specifically when it's like female rock singers. Sure. Because um, I think for a long time, I was like, in order to be a leader, in order to be a teacher, to be a presence of calmness, I have to dispel all anger. And I find something very comforting about coming to a place of an acceptance of anger and that when I feel angry, I can lean into it with that type of music and it's okay. okay. And it also helps you move through it quicker and in a way that isn't hurting anybody else. Mm -hmm. And like to be a calm, uh, you know, someone that tries to be in a state of equanimity to lead, that doesn't mean that you will you will have a lack of anger or feelings of shame. And I think that sometimes we think that. We think that we will just dispel this fear bucket. Like you can't just not have the fear bucket. <laughs> you know what's interesting? I love that you're saying that too. No, because love and fear are two sides of the same coin. Yep. You can't have polarity. Yeah. And law of polarity answers so many things. But I think, too, it's like what you resist persists. Mm -hmm. And it's like, it's so funny because in the coaching, speaking, writing space, there's so much freaking cliches and BS. Yeah. So you're looking and you roll your eyes. You're like, oh, I don't want to hear this again. <laughs> right? But it's so true. There's there's really like, when I used to teach, um, when I was teaching Pursuit of Happiness, it's a different theme now. But when I was teaching Pursuit of Happiness, it was like all the gurus across all the lands over thousands of years tell you to meditate, to be happy. Yeah. Right? Well, there's a reason why everybody's saying it. Like, it's not yep. yes. It's really, I know you're doing some stuff with meditation. It's like, yeah. it's really the thing. And there's so many reasons for why that is. But it's like, these things are the things. They're the cliches because they're real and they work. Yeah. So what we resist persists. And like, I had a back pain. I mean, this is another rabbit hole, but like, I'll just say it briefly. It's like, I had back pain the other day and I recognized that what you resist persists. And yeah. I started getting into, because I had back pain, low back pain for 10 years when I was running my first business. It was a very physically daunting business. And as soon as I got it, I was like, oh my God, 
I'm going to have back pain again, and it's never going to go away. And what if it starts? Blah, blah. And I went down this whole track of all the wor worst case scenarios and the what ifs and all these stories I had around it. And I know that what you resist persists. So I went, you know what? I'm going to like, this is what I'm talking about when you like, you go through the same stuff, but you go through it in a shorter period of time as you get older. Mm, yeah. Coming back to that thing I said in the very beginning. I know that what you resist persists. So I'm going to accept this pain and I'm not going to worry about who I need to call for healers and light workers and all these people. I'm not going to start telling this story. I'm not going to get into my head about it. I'm just going to go, okay, I accept that this pain is here. And it just is one of this. Yeah. It's okay. The pain's here. The pain really sucks. I don't know what I did. I was on a flight for 12 hours. I'm just going to accept that the pain's here. And don't you know, I woke up like eight hours later and I have not felt that pain since. It was weird. And, yeah. and, it, and it's the thing that all the people tell you. This was yesterday? This was a week ago. Oh, a week ago. That is wild that you say that because <laughs> I, so because of killing off my, is it depressing? <laughs> I have had, uh, you know, because like your gut and your mind are linked. And when your mind's freaking out, you're probably going to have some like inflammation and whatnot. And I knew that that was happening. Um, but I have been very much resisting it. Like, I don't have time for this. I don't have time to feel nauseous every time I eat. Like, I just don't have time for this. And last night, I went to, um, a friend of mine was doing a sound bath. And she was having, I went to her sound bath. It was like, like an hour-long sound bath or something. Slightly longer, like hour, hour 15. And I had a very similar moment where I was like, I... My body's not trying to do anything mean to me. It's right. just like, hey, something's going wrong. Yeah. Cue. Yeah. And so I was in that space and I was like, I need to just accept that it is what it is. Yes. And until you said that just now, I, like 30 minutes into that sound bath, all the pain, because at the very start, as I like focused in on the pain that was happening in my gut, I had eaten like an hour before I went. And so I was still having like pain from eating. And... 30 minutes in, once I like gave it my full attention, had my hands on my stomach, it completely went away. Mm -hmm. And until you said that right now, I have not had pain all day mm -hmm. um, from eating or anything which I have not experienced in weeks. Oh, wow. Um, so, I mean, if that's not a teller of like what you resist persists, I don't know what is. It really like is. even on a physical level, isn't that wild? Oh, it's crazy. And it, even yeah. more so like you really learn this in a physical stuff. Like when you have pain and you're not quite sure or discomfort and you're not quite sure where it's coming from or what's causing it and that like cycle starts. Yeah. What you resist persists. Yeah. So, and it's, it's, yeah, I mean, there's a million dots that we can connect there, but it's yeah clear and simple actually. Oh, that's so, wow, you're really giving me a lot of good aha moments. Thank you. It's just as healing for me as anybody else that's listening. So we've talked a lot about the way you communicate with yourself and the stories that you tell yourself, but I feel like we haven't touched on too much about the way that you communicate with others, which is also a core of your well-being. Also, you being someone that has worked with young people quite a, quite a bit, is there anything that you that maybe comes to mind of gaps of communication or areas of communication that isn't very effective mm. in accordance to like relationships or friendships, workplaces mm. that you feel like particularly young people, like early 20-somethings might need to hear, um, whether that's like tools of how they can be more an effective communicator or just where you see a lot of... Um, 
mistakes occurring that could be pretty easily tweaked? Yeah, it's a great question. So I have a whole framework in conscious conversation steps, and I'll just try to say like briefly. So the six steps for conscious communication go like this. When you are in a when you're in a, uh, a communication situation, right? And so we're in communication situations 24-7. Like unless you're in a room with four white balls and no phone, you're inside of a communication situation in which you are expressing what you want people to know, accept, and believe to be true about you. So even like walking across campus, right? I say this to my students all the time, and we're just about to start the quarter, so I'll be sharing this in a day. But when you're walking across campus, you are in a communication situation on campus with hundreds of people around in which you are expressing in the way that you walk, in the way that you talk, in the way that you hold yourself, in the clothes that you're wearing, whether you have sunglasses or a hat on, whether you're looking, you're expressing what you want people to know, accept, and believe to be true about you. Right. So you're always doing that unless you're in a room with four white walls and no phone. So what we want to do is go, how can I be an authentically genuine communicator 24-7 in any given communication situation that I'm in, mm. right? And so I'm always thinking about this. And so let's say now you're like, I'm actually in a communication situation with someone and we're sitting across from each other and we're chatting. What step one of that framework, step one is what's my message, mission, or goal inside of this communication situation? And then we want to think step two, what's their message, mission, or goal inside this communication situation? And how do we bridge that gap between those two? And what is the life lens that they're looking at life through? And what is the life lens that I'm looking at life through? And what are their triggers, patterns, and step points? And what are my triggers, patterns, and step points? So you're literally going like, what is my message, mission, or goal? And how do I show up to be this person? And as much as I can, how do I do the same for this person across the table from right. me? Right? Step three is considering the, uh, the context of the situation that you're in. So all of this shifts based on whether you're in an academic sitting, setting, whether you're in a personal setting where you're with your friends, right? If you're out with the girls and it's a girls' night, that's a different social context yeah. than if you're out with your family, yeah. than if you're out with your boyfriend, right? So what's the personal, professional, or academic context right now? What's the social context of it? That's step three. And then once you've assessed step one, two, and three, you can start to make decisions. So in step four, you can go, okay, what's the best communication channel to authentically communicate in the most efficient and effective way, given what my message is, what their message, mission, or goal is, and what the social setting is. Then you think about step five, what's the tone? When you say channel, do you mean like? Yeah, perfect. So like, and my tech, what, it, my big question is like, what's the mes- most efficient and effective way to communicate based on these other given circumstances? So we go like, am I texting? Oh, am I see. Am I speaking okay. in person? Is it a phone call? Is it a uh, voice note? Is it a WhatsApp? Like, mm. what's the best communication channel Got it. for the goal that I have yeah. and for who I know this person to be? Okay. And the yeah. life lens that they have. So that's step four. Step five is what's the tone do I want to use? And then step, f- uh, step six is the strategy. So, like, am I a heart? Is it a heart centered strategy? Right? Is it a pathos? Like in rhetoric, we would call that, am I using pathos? Or am I using a head-centered strategy? Am I using logos in this right. communication situation? Or is it a combination of the two, which is what it usually is? Right. Right. So step one, what's my message, mission, or goal? Step two, what's their message, mission, or goal? Step three was the social context that we're in. Okay? Assessing those three, then making decisions. Step four, what's the most efficient and effective communication channel 
Five, what's the best tone to use? And six, what's the best strategy? Is it head-centered or is it heart-centered? Mm. Or a combination of the both. So I, I know there's a lot of information, but that's like my conscious communication framework that I give to students and clients to move through communication situations. Mm. That's a lot to think about, but once you really start doing it, it, I do this all the time without like, you know, I'm not even thinking about it now because I use this framework all the time. Yeah. I like, I really, and I really like like the five-step pattern because it makes me think about, because often if I, if I know I'm going to have to have a difficult conversation with somebody, I'll like brain dump everything I'm thinking prior on paper um, and then kind of, uh, you know, have the pieces of information I want to communicate. But I like the idea of putting it in a framework as well, where it's, I'm not just thinking about me. I'm thinking, how do I need to deliver this in a way this particularly this particular person where they're at can actually receive it. Yeah. And I think we skip that piece a lot where it's oh, like, yeah. me, how do I communicate myself? Like, how do I do this? Um, when really, I think a lot of these difficult conversations specifically would go a lot better if we spent a little more time also thinking about how does this person need to receive it? Yes. And I think the other thing, like I always say, you know, we teach best what we most need to learn. And the reason why I got healthily obsessed with conscious communication was because I was so painfully tortured when someone stopped communication. Mm-hmm. So like ghosting, halting communication. Which don't ghost people. Oh, it's, it's really terrible. easy to send a text, you awful guys. Awful thing to do. <laughs> yeah. Awful thing to do to people. And, um, which I used to do, I'm guilty, but I don't anymore. Well, yeah. I mean, look, <laughs> people have their own stuff, right? We, yeah. we stop communicating. First of all, like I love communication. However, when I'm in a state of fear, the first thing I want to do is stop communicating. Yep. I mean, really, like I struggle with this myself. We yep. teach best what we most need to learn. Yep. Right. And so that is my first inclination is to like go in my shell and just halt communication because I don't know what I'm going to say. I don't know how to say it. I, I, and, or I'll avoid, or, you know, like I do all those things. Mm-hmm. And I created these frameworks and these strategies initially from a place of avoiding pain. Right. Because I'm like, I don't want to get ghosted. I don't want to ghost. I don't want to hurt anybody. I don't want to be hurt. It was all from a fear-based pain place. Now it's not as much, but that's where it started. It's like, how do I avoid ghosting and feeling abandoned? And, you know, when I used to be like in the sales process, which I really don't love to call sales, probably like the serving process with getting new clients, um, I navigate this. Because like clients are super busy and they'll fall off in the middle of communication with them about, oh, this is my coaching program and da da da. And I have to go like, how do I not get offended about this? Because it's not me. Yeah. How do I not beat myself up about it? Because I probably didn't do anything wrong if they're just busy. Yep. It's this process of like talking yourself off the ledge all the time. Like, did I do yeah. anything wrong? Or did I piss somebody off? Did I upset somebody? You know, like that's part of my story. But conscious communication helps you avoid some of that. And yeah. the challenging conversations, I have a very simple process for that. And inside of a challenging conversation, if you open with like, look, my intention here is to, right? My intention here is oh, to create like space that. where we can both communicate and bridge some gaps in some ways that we're seeing things so that we can both feel aligned. Or my intention here is to create an authentic and genuine space where we can kind of communicate whatever we need to say in a loving, peaceful way so that we can both get a win-win here. Ah, that's good. Right? Like, 
And it's so simple. Oh, it's so, so just simple. be like, this is my attention. Like, and that can transform the, the, what happens for the whole conversation. Correct. And yeah. it's all about setting that intention before the conscious, challenging conversation starts. Yeah. Because it puts people calm. Okay. Mm. It, and if you're saying it with real, authentic, I mean, everything I'm teaching is how do we do this in the most efficient, effective, authentic, genuine way, yeah. right? This is not a strategy for manipulation. This is like, yeah. how do we yeah. like do this in an authentic, genuine way. And so we say, state that intentionally. say, step two is the current reality is, right? So, and you don't have to use that phrase, but I always say like, okay, the current reality right now in this challenging circumstance, I don't maybe label a challenging circumstance. I'll just say the current reality is, and you list a couple of sort of black and white things that are happening that you would like to shift, right? Here's the current reality right now. And then this, the next step is, I'd like to navigate the current reality this way. And you list, like, here's the way I'd like to navigate the current reality. And then step four is like, what do you think? Mm. Right? And you can even go like, do you want to add any color to that? And let the other person like state what their current reality is and how they'd like to navigate the current reality. Right? But that's really all we're trying to do in a challenging conversation is we're trying to bridge the gap from point, you know, from point, a person to point B person and find some kind of win-win that both people can feel okay with. Yeah. And and you want to make the person feel seen, valued, heard, and understood. Yeah. Because that's when people get defensive, right? They get defensive because they don't feel seen, valued, heard, or understood. Or they don't feel like the win-win is possible for them too inside of the circumstance. Yeah. Right? So they get in their fear-based place, they turn, they constrict, they close off. Or they, or they get angry. Yeah, and I, and I like, I like that what you're saying there as well because I think sometimes, as opposed to creating a space where they feel hurt as well, instead we go, which I do this sometimes, where I go, it's not that big of a deal. Like, it's like this doesn't really matter, but it is something that matters to me because I'm bringing it up. Right. But I'll, but we'll find ourselves instead of creating a space that's comfortable. For both of you, we think, well, if I make myself, if I make what I'm trying to say less, then that's how I can do that. As opposed to, you don't need to do that. You can rather just ask questions and make sure that they feel seen and heard as opposed to, I'll, I'll seem, does that make sense? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, it's not coming out correctly, no, but perfect. like, I find myself doing that. And I think a lot of, a lot of people do where, we think the best way for someone to feel, to find that win-win is to demean what we are trying to express, mm-hmm. which is not good, not great. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's really important to, again, just creating that creating that space for everybody to feel like there's a possibility for a win-win. Mm. It's hard to do. I mean, look, I have plenty of conscious conversations that don't sound conscious when they start, right? <laughs> They're like yeah. challenging and struggling. And I think it's important to note, like in our romantic partnerships, generally speaking, generally speaking, it's the hardest area to do it in yeah. because we have so much, so much stuff attached to the outcomes, to the conversations. We're getting our inner children. I mean, that's a whole nother podcast, but your inner child's getting all wrapped up in it. Your attachment styles are all there. So it's like, there's a lot more to say around conscious communication inside of relationship than in romantic partnership than the other areas. Because that's certainly where it presents the biggest challenge in my experience. Yeah. Because we just have so much attached to it. We have so much junk and stuff that we need to like sort. 
Yeah. You know, that creates challenge inside of those conversations. Yeah. So, give, so basically, like, give yourself some grace. Keep studying the stuff with yeah. the intention of showing up from a really loving place regardless of the circumstances. It's hard. Yeah. Yeah. It's not easy. And I think that's a beautiful place we kind of yeah. came for a full circle with yeah, that and then so it too. with love and empathy and before i i had two questions from people that um are in my text community before i do ask you those is there any last thing you would want to um say as far as uh you know my audience is generally like 17 to 22 is there any last thing that comes to mind that you might want to yes put out i do there? actually have that i'll say the thing i say to my students all the time like College and this setting, like, actually, let me just put it this way because some are in college and some are not, and it doesn't matter either way. The point that I'm making here is like one of the biggest skills I think that you, that would be beneficial to you, or that I would encourage, I'll say to take coulda, woulda, shit is out, um, is, is that skill of nurturing relationships with people. And it's okay if you're introverted. It's okay if you're extroverted. I'm not saying you need to be a whiz at networking and you need to be like whining and dining a bunch of people. Just <laughs> notice that the skill to nurture, to really expand your life is that ability to, to connect with people and to make them feel seen, valued, heard, and understood. Mm-hmm. And so I'll give an example of that just saying in college, right? Because I'm teaching college right now. I always t- tell my students like, it's human nature to give students better grades that you feel connected to. Mm. That doesn't make you a brown noser and that doesn't make you a be a bullshitter. It yeah. makes you a smart human who understands how human dynamics work. Mm. And so if you are a student in my class, I'm going to give you a better grade if you've come to my office hours because I'm gonna have more empathy for you and I'm gonna understand your journey around writing more and I'm gonna care more when I read your paper. Yep. Full stop. I can't help that. I can't help that that's human nature. Yeah. So like if you're in school. But like you get you get what you put in. Right. Like, so if yeah. you're in school or you're in an internship or you're at a job and you want to accelerate and you want to have more accolades and be more connected for better things and more pay, like go get connected from a human perspective, like in yeah. a human way with people. Yeah. Because you're, good you're really going to excel your life better. Yeah. And faster. It's all about human connection. And that's why the communication piece I'm so healthfully obsessed with and why I'm so passionate about it. I talk about it all the time because communication equals connection. Connection equals more happiness and fulfillment. Yeah. And and like there, and there's very little ways to be more conscious of showing people that you care and connecting with people. Like something I like to do is I like to, and this was actually something that James Whitaker who mm. connected us, and he's just like such a, caring person yes and and the way that he cares for people does not come from a perspective of like manipulation or how what can i get from these people but he really cares and wants to show people that he cares and so i've sort of um taken on his philosophy of uh i get everybody's birthdays and i send them a text i love that the day before their birthday because they get a thousand texts on their birthday i love that what a good um because and I think it and I do it not because I'm like well they're, they're gonna like me more but I it's just a simple way to show people that you care and that mm-hmm. you do want to put effort into a relationship with these people and on top of that also send a voice note send yeah. a voice note to people like like 
reach out to people more when they pop up in your brain. Yes. And, I, and I try to do that. do that. James is very good at that. And I try and do that. Uh, like I just messaged a friend that I hadn't spoken to in a few months. And I was like, hey, you came into my brain, voice note. Like, I hope, you, I hope you're good. And that was it. And he was like, thank you so much. That was so nice. Mm. And it's just, it's like little things where it's like that, and it also helps me to remember that it's not about me. Like, my life is not about me. Mm. And so I guess I just say that because, like, those are very two very tactical things that you can do. When someone pops up into your head, send them a 15-second yeah. voice note. Yeah, I was just and, thinking about you. Just and give people's in. birthdays. I love it. Yeah. I love that. It's I so think simple. that's a great way to close. And so, yeah, remembering that communication equals connection and connection equals happiness and fulfillment. Yeah. How do we authentically and genuinely communicate and connect with people in the most efficient, effective way. It's like, that's where I would close it, I think. Yeah. Beautiful. That was good. <laughs> um, uh, I don't know. We, we've been going for a bit. Do you want to do these Q&A yeah, questions? Yeah, okay. I just have two. Um, so these are questions from the text community. First one was, um, because you work with clients a lot on like financial abundance, financial abundance, um, are there any specific financial resources um, or even like maybe resources that you provide um, for maybe college students specifically or like early 20-somethings that whether that's like very tactical, like here's a website to go to or maybe a resource that you So I would say have. two things. Like the first thing I would say is, is you're totally capable of doing this. So do it is get like a little spreadsheet and just start tracking all your numbers. Mm. So like, like the more you look at your numbers, the more your numbers grow. And, and the, and the earlier you get good at noticing and paying attention to it, the better. So it's you just mean like how much you're spending and like bringing in and that sort of thing. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just being aware of your numbers, I would say is number one. And number two, I would say, um, money master the game. It's a, like a business Bible. It's Tony Robbins, but yeah, it's like this book this big. It's like a 600 page book. But if I could have read that at a very young age, I wish I would like, I wish I would have read it at a young age because it's such a brilliant book on finances. And, you know, he studied. What's the title? It's Money Master the Game. Money Master the Game. It's, a money, it's been a while since I've read it and I can see it in my head, but I can't remember exactly. It might be Master the Money Game, but I don't think it is. Anyway, it's Tony Robbins' money book, 600 pages. So you can't miss They'll it. They'll find it, yeah. <laughs> like it's on my, it's in my bookshelf over there in the next room. But anyway, the point is, is Educating yourself on that, everything that he does is is trying to teach concepts in a pretty simple way. And while that book is a long book, it's a it's good for like simplistic money mindset stuff and like just the basics of like how it works. It's very complicated, you know, taxes and retirement and all these things are very complicated. So we need to like simplify them. So I would say like be in your numbers and educate yourself about money. Yeah. Because it's not that complicated once you understand the rules around it. Yes. Yeah. Right? I, that, I think that's a, those are both great pieces of advice, too, because I think also a lot of people feel a lot of resistance of, like, becoming more educated around finances. And some of my friends are like, I don't know why you find it so interesting. And I think if you can look at it more as, like, you're not educating yourself so that you can survive or, like, it's more so, I just find the game of it very interesting. Like, mm -hmm. And it's more fun to be a player in a game the more you know how to win at the game. Right, right. <laughs> uh, and, and that's really fun. Like, that's exciting. And then you can also, and it's not, 
that you want to be a winner in the game in an egotistical sense, but also exactly what you talked about when we started talking is then you can help people more. Right. Yay. <laughs> yeah. And it's cool because like money, I think, you know, I say this to my students, money doesn't make you happier. It really nope. doesn't make you happier. The money nope. gives you freedom, which makes you happier. Yes. That's it. Mm-hmm. So it's like, it's okay to say you want to be wealthy or abundant or make money. You can also just say, I want to make money so I can be free to do what I want to do when I want to do it with the people I want to do it with mm-hmm. and the timing I want to do it for. And Tony yep. Robbins has a quote that's like that too. But it's like, I can do what I want, where I want, with whoever I want, whenever I want. Mm. And and I remember hearing that phrase the first time I went to a seminar where I was going to move through money stuff. And I was just like, wow, what a brilliant phrase. I can just do whatever I want, whenever I want, with whoever I want, for as long as I want, or whatever yeah. the actual phrase is. And so coming up with those kinds of mantras that start shifting your way of seeing things and your way of feeling things mm-hmm. and the possibilities you think are possible, it really is a mindset thing. Mm. It really, really is. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that book. I think yeah. that's very good for people to know. And I'll also I'll put that in the show notes for anybody that is interested in it. Yeah. And then second question someone asked was, how can you be clear and direct <laughs> in a conversation when you're scared? Oh, when you're man. scared to bring up, you know, a conflict or that something that somebody did bothered question. you? That's such a great question. So I think the framework we talked about before is the way you do that. Yeah. So for me, if I have frameworks, I can basically do anything that I can push myself through things if I have a process for it or a formula. So that's why I create frameworks. But really what it is, is is calling it out. So there's a book called um, How to Split the Difference. Mm-hmm. How to Split the Difference. Or Split the Difference. Gosh, why can I not remember titles of everything today? Um, it's a great book, but it's also around communication stuff. But never split the difference. It's called Never Split the Difference. I'm like, gosh, well. Anyway, he talks about labeling things. So if you label like, hey... My intention today is to create a space where we can have like an open conscious conversation or an open conversation. And I'm a little like scared to say this because I, I'm afraid that you might not respond well or I'm afraid that you might not be able to hear it. Like labeling the concern yeah. and the intention is a good way to move through. It's kind of like when you get on stage and you're nervous to speak, so you say, I feel a little nervous. Yeah. And then it dissipates. Yep. The nerves. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm talking about when yep. you're speaking? I do that all the time when I'm speaking. I haven't spoken that much, to be honest, so we're working on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're a very good speaker. So. Thank you. Uh, you should be doing that way more. Um, or you will be doing it way more, I should say. Um, so, yeah, it's it's really my, you know, here's the other thing about giving advice, right, or, or stating things like answering questions like this. It's just my perspective. It's just, yeah. And I can only give you my perspective based on my experiences, which is true for everybody on the planet, even yeah. people that have millions of followers that are influencing with giving advice. It's still just from their perspective, yeah. based on their experiences. So that's what works for me, labeling it and saying, I'm a little uncomfortable having this conversation right now, but my intentions are really good, and I'm here to bridge a gap in communication with you because I love you and I care about you and I want us to be able to move through something, yeah. but I'm a little scared to say it. And can you hold space for that? And requesting what you need mm. dissipates a lot. Yeah, I like that a lot, and it's it's very simple because I think sometimes if you— also, if you try and mask the fear when you have those conversations, I feel like it can also turn into like resentment for that person. Yes, um, yes. Because you're like, you then turn it into like, you make me f- feel fearful and you make me have to like mask how I feel. Right. Um, which isn't helpful. No, yeah, taking responsibilities for your, taking responsibility for your own emotions is, that's a yeah. skill set. It's like, 
I'm feeling this right now. Yeah. And I would love to discuss it so we can clear in the air. But taking responsibility, it's like, I'm angry. It's not you made me angry. Yep. It's like, I feel angry right now and I want to discuss it because I don't want to keep feeling angry. Yeah. Or I don't want to keep judging you. Or I don't want to be critical in my head about you. Yep. Yeah. Or the one thing that I do that works really well is like, this relationship is really important to me. So I'm kind of pushing myself to do something that's outside of my comfort zone. So just know that like, that's how important the relationship is to me. Like I'm willing to make myself uncomfortable in order to bridge this gap in communication so we can maintain the integrity of this relationship because it's that important to me to do it. I like that. No one's going to be like, whatever. I don't want to hear what you have to say if you say that. Yeah. You know, unless they're like someone that's not worthy to being, that's not worth being in your life anymore. Yeah. Right. Oof. That's good. That is very good. And it's okay to like exit people out of your life too in a conscious way as well. Yes. I struggle with that, but it's okay to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's necessary sometimes. Yeah. But you have to consciously communicate it. You don't want to ghost people. Yes. <laughs> and yes. you don't want to actually say, yes. I'm going to remove myself from our exchange right now. It is no longer a healthy engagement. It's no longer a healthy interaction. And I wish you well. Yeah. You should just make like scripts or something. <laughs> I do that. I used to do this for people when I was a dating coach. I hate them. So that no man. You were a dating coach. I was actually I was. wondering. I was like, was she a dating coach? When I first started. I was curious. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Concerned. It's funny because it, it makes me think like, yeah, if you had like some sort of portfolio scripts. <laughs> like, I used to give men them. and women text yeah. messages to send after first, second, third dates to just like like nicely decline and not just yeah. ghost. That's been going viral on TikTok. Really? Girls, girls like showing them their copy and paste in their notes app of like after they go on a date. And it's awesome because then you see, you know, like 50,000 teenagers saving these TikTok videos. That. And now they're going to be sending this like, hey, I enjoyed our time together, blah, blah, blah. And like, that's awesome. That's I really love exciting. That makes me so happy because, yeah. you know, that's, it's, again, maybe it's another podcast. It's way down the rabbit hole, but we make a lot of assumptions and conclusions in dating that are just not accurate and real. And so it's nice to send those text messages because you're not giving anybody the space where they have to make a ton of, draw a ton of conclusions and draw, you know, create a bunch of stories and make themselves feel pain like we don't need to do any of that in dating we can just actually say like i had a great time and i still think there's a match here long term mm-hmm. right and the, it's the use of the and not the but right so yeah i had a great time but about that. it's yeah. such a different story than i had a great time and mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. so and that's, that's easy good. it's an easy it's conscious communication tool yep <laughs> yep it's the, just like the way you phrase stuff it's wild what it does yep um and then finally, I do rapid-fire questions at the end of all my episodes. I love that. Um, so I'll get into those. The first question is, what's the best thing you bought that costs less than $100? This pillow. I love this pillow, and I think it's beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> is that the same as this one? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, so I guess if you count both of them, they weren't under $100. They're comfy, too. Like I feel like a lot of throw pillows that are pretty are kind of like... Not comfortable. Yeah, I love these. It's just like, I loved it, so I bought it. That's funny. Uh, Second question is, what piece of advice do you give others that you often have a tough time taking yourself? Oh, um, that to be in the present moment. I suck at being in the present moment. And I know that that's where all the good stuff happens, and that's where you manifest, and that's where magic happens. And I live in the past or the future a lot. Mm. Yeah, I think it's funny because that's actually a common answer to that question. Is it? Yeah. Oh, I thought I was being unique somehow. Oh, no, I, it's fun that actually that it's a common pattern because I think, 
that would probably be probably my answer as well, like yeah. to be present. But it's just, ugh, it's hard. It's hard. Decision making too, like trusting your gut on the the first three seconds that come through. But I really struggle with that too. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. Third question is a fashion. What is a fashion slash clothing essential for you? Do you have does something like that come to mind? I know everybody yes, isn't. It does, but I I should often say like I my best friend does my whole closet. I'm not great at that stuff and I don't oh, love that's it. Funny. So she like helps me with my whole closet. But Ew. I do have a a fashion accessory pieces. I have a cashmere gray sweater that my best friend bought me. Uh, like two years ago, and I have it with me like everywhere all the time because it still looks fashionable, but it's also really warm, but it's not hard to carry everywhere because it's not huge. It's a great piece. Mm, I like it. It's my favorite piece. Beautiful. (laughs) Uh, I I love asking that question too just because I'm like, I was like, I should, I'm a fashion girly. I should put this in there. (laughs) You should, totally. Um, Fourth fourth question is, what is a song you've had on repeat lately? Oh, okay, so it's an Odessa song, which actually isn't, so I listen to two versions of music. So Fix You, Coldplay, I just went to that concert. So I've been listening to Fix You a lot. And it's an old song, but it's an incredible song. And it's just the most brilliant song on the planet. Dave Matthews' Crash is usually the answer I would give to that. But then I also have been listening to an Odessa song called Loyal. And they did like a drum line with USC. And it's just an incredibly high vibe song. Like it gets you in kind of a space. So I know that's scary, but it's hard for me to pick with music. No, I like it. I love it. I'm in. Yeah, it's hard to just pick one. I think I, it would be hard for me to. I would say Dave Matthews' Crash is the song that I most, I mean, it's like a 90s song, but I'm obsessed with Dave still. And so that would be typically like. Crash. I listen. You don't know Crash? Oh, so goodness. I need to send it to you. It's brilliant song. Yeah, do this. Don't. Oh, you would totally know it if you heard it. Who knows? It's a. It's a. You would know it if you heard it, probably. But. Mm. And then last question is: What book? And we already sort of talked about a book, but what book contributed most to the mindset that you have today, or maybe like a few? It's kind of hard to pick one. Yeah, I mean, we talked about the one. I would say it depends on the phase of life that I've been in. There's so many brilliant books that are different, but I would say like um, there's a book called Journey of Souls, which is a spiritual book around how we live multiple lifetimes and how we pick and choose um, the journey that we've been on in each of our soul lifetimes. And it gave me a different perspective around challenging moments because it basically says like you knew it before you came into the body that you were going to go through it and it's part of your soul journey. So like part of that acceptance phase instead of resistance, you can accept it. Go, okay, I chose this. I'm supposed to be dealing with this. It's for a bigger purpose. Great, it's for my soul. Yeah. And then I would also say there's a book called right here, The War of Art. This would be great for students. It's a very quick and simple read. It's by Stephen Pressfield. And it basically says that it talks about fear and how everybody has these has these fears because of the ego, because of that reptilian brain. And, you know, to just get through them. And this is particular around the creative stuff. So, like, if you're sitting down and you're a student and you're having a hard time writing a paper and you're looking at the blank screen and you're, like, freaking out. Of course, this was before Chad GTP. Let's just call a spade a spade here. Yeah, that came into my head. Chad GTP came into my head. Before Chad GTP, we had to deal with that. And this book was basically like, that's normal. And every writer, every person goes through these critical moments where fear and the ego and the reptilian brain halts the process entirely. And so not to buy into that process, to just be like, oh, it's here and it's normal. So we can move through it quicker. This book is very, very powerful. I have not, I don't even know if I've heard of that. I'll have to. Such a great book. I mean, he's big with Oprah now. Like, Oprah loves this guy. But this guy wrote like 26 books that no one cared about until he wrote this one. Whoa. Yeah. Interesting. I think that was the numbers of 26 books. And then all of a sudden, so yeah. 
Boom. There we go. Well, thank you. I'm super pumped to see you've reached the end of the podcast. Not only because you hung out with me and our guests, but because you took the time to better your life through the stories and advice shared on this podcast. And if y'all would go to Apple Podcasts and leave a review, that would seriously mean the world to me. And if something in the podcast really sparked an aha moment for you, please share it with those you love and get a conversation going because I truly believe that that is where the magic happens. So keep learning, seizing the moment, and intentionally creating your life. Thanks for listening and I hope to have you back soon.